Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to It Could Happen Here with me, Andrew, of the YouTube channel Andrewism. And today I'm joined by Mia and Gare. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. And I want to talk about cities. Because I very recently published a video on Sulapung City Planning. I mean, I don't know when you're all going to hear this podcast, but I did recently <laughs> publish it. Um, and you can check that out on my channel. And I thought I'd share a bit about, a bit more about one particular historical urban planning movement that I talk about in that video. And that is Ebenezer Howard's Garden Cities Movement um, and his book, Garden Cities of Tomorrow. Are you all familiar with either? No. I don't think so. Yeah, so Ebenezer Howard. Um, side note, by the way, I don't know who looks at a child and names them Ebenezer Howard, but he presented this idea of the Garden City concept in 1898 in a book called Tomorrow, A Peaceful Path to Real Reform. Later, he republished it in 1902 under the name Garden Cities of Tomorrow. Um, and take note in the title of the book of the use of reform and peaceful path, because it does highlight a noticeable lack within Howard's vision that we'll discuss later. He wants to provide access to the benefits of both town living and country living. As he describes it, town and country are like magnets drawing people to them. 
You know, so according to him, town offers vibrant society and opportunity and transportation, but it lacks the beauty of nature. It has pollution, it has crowding, it has disease. I mean, this is Victorian era um, cities he's talking about. Place will stink. Um, In contrast, the country and country offers the space and the beauty of nature and its abundance, but it lacks society and it can feel isolated and really spread out. So he wanted to create a hybrid of both concepts, a third magnet of town, country, the combined benefits of both. I would believe that- A secret, sorry, I have to help, I have to jump in here and make a secret- A third secret third joke. thing. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you, yeah. Not All town, right. not country, but a secret <laughs> third thing. <laughs> we fulfilled our, we fulfilled our contractual obligations. One joke. All right, I'm going to sign off the call. Andrew, you take it from here. <laughs> so yeah. A secret third thing. Howard believed that the ideal living conditions for people of all economic backgrounds could be created by establishing these town, country, cities with very specific parameters run by strong government institutions. In Ebenezer Howard's context, again, no offense to the Ebenezers of the world, but... Jeez, I can't, I can't let go of those implications. <laughs> I think I think we need to bring back the name Ebenezer, actually. It's 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 been too long since I've seen an infant named Ebenezer, meaning I've never seen one. <laughs> I, I, fe- I feel like we should see more just absolutely absurd old-timey names. Do you, what, do you, what, do you, what do you call the baby? Do you call them Ebby or something? Like, how, how, call, how, how does this You work? call the baby Ebenezer, the baby's oh, name. God. Why would you... You call it the baby's name. You could obviously. call it Abby. You could call it Neezer. You could eventually call it Weezer. Okay, like Neezer different options. Is a horrible nickname. That is <laughs> awful. Oh yeah, that is okay. I'm hearing the implications. <laughs> I do never. I never want to hear that again. Yeah, I digress. Howard's writing. I'm just gonna call him Howard. Howard's writing during the Industrial <laughs> Revolution was in response to well, the Industrial Revolution. You know, his response to the urban slums, the pollution, the lack of access to the countryside. And much of his book is dedicated to the idea that cities, as they existed in his time, were not sustainable in the long run. By the middle of the 19th century, over half of Britain's population lived in towns. And in 1900, that proportion had risen to over three quarters. But English towns and cities presented social and environmental problems of an unprecedented scale. And much of Britain's history in that period could be connected with the efforts to ameliorate the frightening conditions that a lot of people lived in. When it comes to the design, um, Howard wanted to create these highly structured, carefully laid out communities to provide the best conditions possible for every kind of person. He saw he wanted to purchase like large areas of land from aristocratic owners and start setting up garden cities that would house up to 32,000 people in individual homes on 6,000 acres. And that, that whole vision of individual homes is, I think, um, it belies a limitation in the imagination there, but it's, it's somewhat understandable considering the historical conditions of the time where people were living in these overcrowded um, slums and stuff. And the, the dream was really to have a home of your own, you didn't have to crowd out. It didn't have to be crowded. You could, didn't have to share it with others. But anyway, I think a sustainable city should trade the sprawl that single-family homes generate for more dense development 
for the most part, that is. But I digress once again. That's not all his plan entailed. His garden cities would also include a huge public garden with public buildings like a town hall, lecture halls, theaters, and a hospital. An enormous arcade called the Crystal Palace, not arcade as in video game, um, where residents would browse a covered market and enjoy a winter garden. Neighborhoods with cooperative kitchens and shared gardens. Schools, playgrounds, and churches. Factories, warehouses, farms, workshops, and access to a train line. In its ideal form, the Garden City would become a network of smaller garden cities built around a larger central town. The idealized vision of the Garden City contained very specific utopian elements, like small communities planned on a concentric pattern that would accommodate housing, industry, and agriculture, surrounded by green belts that would limit their growth. Now, there's a diagram that he did up for his book that has been popularized that represents like a sort of a concentric circle design, but he didn't believe that that necessarily had to be the shape of the Garden City. He still wanted the city to be adapted to the local layout somewhat. And these elements of Garden City design uh, were all interdependent. You know, he wanted strong community engagement. He wanted community ownership of land. Although he wasn't a socialist, mind you. He was a Georgist. Um, oh, God. Wait, that explains that explains so much <laughs> about all of his politics. Of course, he was a Georgist. <laughs> yeah, quite, a, quite an interesting crew of characters there. Oh. <laughs> uh, he wanted mixed 10-year homes and housing types that were generally affordable. You know... To, to go on another digression, I find Georgism to be such an interesting fixation of a philosophy. It's like, you know, looking at all the problems in society and you know what we need? A land tax. That'll solve things. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's not the, all there is to, the, to the, that political philosophy, that economic uh, approach, but... I just found I just find it every time I think about it, I find it funny that it was just really like the whole movement was basically this one like um tax proposal. It's really like funny that was the too, whole focus of it. Yeah, it's really funny too, because I mean, it has one of the sort of largest like collapses of any ideology ever. Like this is like this is a very like a very yeah, it very was a, it was a big it was a big ideology you know it it, it literally um helped to develop the ga- the board game monopoly you know it's like it was a huge thing. This is something I've actually been looking into a lot. I've I've been trying to track down some of the original like nineteen twenties copies of Monopoly that's more based on the second on the landlord scheme. Yes, I've been trying to find the ones that were like pre pre uh, pre Parker Brothers. Um, and I've I've I found I found a few a few I found a few like two months ago, but before I could order them, it 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 was sold to somebody else on eBay. So I've been Oof. trying to track down another an, another one in the uh, in the past two months, and it's been a bit more challenging, just because I'm kind of a monopoly freak. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's really interesting. 
to see how um, that game was developed and then changed over time and how Hasbro stepped in. Is it Hasbro or the Parker Brothers, whatever, stepped in and did their do to and kind of basically rewrote the history of the board game entirely. Yeah. But anyway, um, elements of the Garden City, strong community engagement, community ownership of land, mixed tenure homes, housing types are generally affordable, a wide range of local jobs with easy commuting distances of homes, well-designed homes with gardens combining the best of town and country, and green infrastructure that enhances the natural environment with strong cultural, recreational, and shopping facilities in addition to integrated and accessible transportation. It's not all sunshine and roses, though. Um, I mean, you could look at the sort of the greenwashing elements of the Garden City design. Um, And even in their time, they were criticized. I mean, they were praised for being an alternative to the overcrowded industrial cities. But they were also criticized for damaging the economy, being destructive to the beauty of nature, and being inconvenient. You know, they, they weren't able to be, and furthermore, because they had this sort of top-down design philosophy, um, they weren't able to truly reflect the natural and organic developments of a town or a country, you know? So secret third thing, couldn't do either of the things that the uh, original <laughs> two stuff could do. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And then, of course, you have the mustached man himself, um, Marie Bookchin, stepping in in the limits of the city to eviscerate the idea of the Garden City. He talks about how Howard's scheme uh, was basically a system of benevolent capitalism that presumed to avoid the extremes of communism and individualism. And as a result, his entire book was, quote, permeated by an underlying assumption, so typically British, that a compromise (laughs) can be struck between an intrinsically irrational material reality and a moral ideology of high-minded conciliation. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> I, feel I, mean, like the, the, I feel like the most brutal part of that is just the typically British part. <laughs> like, oof. Yeah. I mean, any, any look at really the, the plan that, that Howard had, you know, the offices and industrial factories and shopping centers that he intended to provide the Garden City with, those spaces are battlegrounds of conflicting social interest, you know? There's alienated labor, there are income differences, there are disparities of work time and free time. All all that conflict is not addressed just because you make a pretty city. You know, there's no resolution to the problems created under a capitalist factory, office or shopping center just because you have a nice transit system and a green belt. I feel like some of some of these same problems crop up on 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 some of the solar punk stuff online as well. I mean, we've already talked about like greenwashing throughout the solar punk aesthetic and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it is it is an interesting, interesting, interesting aspect that keeps propping up, and it's just intriguing that it like dates back over a hundred years ago, like this same exact thing. Yeah, exactly. And funny enough, you know, his garden cities. We even fallen short of utopias that were thought of before his time, you know, like not even just utopias, but also actual historical political experiments that, you know, try to address various social problems, you know, like unlike the Greek polis, which had some basis of face-to-face democracy, Howard just had a central council and a department structure based on elections. Um, unlike in Thomas More's Utopia, there's no proposal for rotating agricultural and industrial work. Unlike the Paris Commune of 1871, 
which was established long before Howard wrote his book, he had no sort of incorporation of that sort of political experimentation in the Garden City development. The criticism really is how superficial a lot of Howard's ideas are, right? Like there was just a lack of social analysis in favor of just design. Yeah, Georgism. <laughs> like, sure, it would probably be like better than what we have now. Well, yeah, but, for sure. But it, but, it, but it by no means like fixes all of the systemic issues. It's like Amsterdam, right? I would yeah. rather have capitalism while riding a bike. <laughs> But Bookchin also talks about how these communities do not encompass the full range of possibilities of human experience. Again, quote, because, you know, Bookchin is low-key a boss, right? Neighborliness, neighborliness is mistaken for organic social intercourse and mutual aid. Well-manicured parks for the harmonization of humanity with nature. The proximity of workplaces for the development of a new meaning for work and its integration with play. An eclectic mix of ranch houses, slab-like apartments, and bachelor-type flats for spontaneous architectural variety. Shopping mart plazas and a vast expanse of lawn for the agora. Lecture halls for cultural centers. Hobby classes for vocational variety. Benevolent trusts for municipal councils for self-administration. One can add endlessly to this list of misplaced criteria for community that serve to obfuscate rather than clarify the high attainment of the urban tradition. Indeed, the appearance of community serves the ideological function of concealing the incompleteness of an intimate and shared social life. Again, boom. <laughs> you know? <laughs> if people are brought together, you know, they have all these conveniences and these pleasantries, but they're still culturally impoverished they're still atomized they still deal with the stark reality of capitalism in the spaces that they're gonna they're gonna inevitably spend most of their day at work like it's nice that the city is well designed but how much of it are you gonna get to see if you still have to go to work for eight hours plus a day i mean if anything at least you know the commute will probably be shorter but that's about it and that's I mean, if you get a job in the city itself. This this is interesting because in some ways, the invention of the suburb in the in the years after this kind of tried to solve for this issue while also just doing it in an incredibly racist way. <laughs> like oh, yeah. you can you 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 can see the, the invention of the suburb of trying to create these little nestled communities, but also getting away from the uh the uh the urban the center which yeah. was seen as this like scary place uh full of people who were non-white so you have like this white flight thing that developed this notion of the suburbs which in in some ways kind of does this but in a in a much worse way actually <laughs> <laughs> it it makes it makes the idea of the garden city look like a much better alternative to what the suburbs did and it's it's just interesting that even the version of this that got implemented was just done in a way that is so much more dystopian and depressing. Yeah. I mean, and Bookchin addresses the, that comparison to the suburbs as well, right? He says, in the best of cases, the new towns differ from suburbs primarily because job commuting is short and most services can be supplied within the community itself. In the worst of cases, they are essentially bedroom suburbs of the metropolis and add enormously to its congestion during working hours. I, I can't I can't believe Bookchin 
beat me to the punch on this one. He, he outbooked Jin Yu. I'm You've devast- been booked I'm, de- I'm devastated. <laughs> this is this is the first time Bookchin's ever has has ever has ever beaten me. This is this is tr- this is truly terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, but despite some of these flaws and criticisms, Howard was passionate about his idea. Right? I mean, he published the books. He also organized, like he's actually, he's not sitting on Twitter, right? He's actually doing something about his ideas. So he organized this Garden City Association in 1899 in England to promote the ideas of social justice, economic efficiency, beautification, health, and well-being in the context of city planning. That Garden City Association later became the Town and Country Planning Association, which still exists to this day. Um, women played a very active role and continue to play a very active role in the organization. I mean, as Howard says himself in his book, women's influence is too often ignored. You hear that, ladies? This guy's a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> when the Garden City is built, as it shortly will be, women's share in the work will be found to have been a large one. Women are among our most active missionaries. Um and he's, so, he's, do, he's doing some Abdullah Ajalan shit now. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's um, liberating life, you know? <laughs> but yeah, the TCP, the Town Country Planning Association, um, has continued to campaign for a new generation of garden cities based on modern, modern garden city principles. They will cross-sector and government influence policy and legislation. They raise awareness through guidance and training. They uh, promote affordable homes and inclusive, healthy, and climate-resilient places. Uh, And they try to create, to explore barriers, opportunities, and practical solutions necessary to make new garden cities a reality. They also are genuinely interested in empowering people to have a real influence over decisions about their environments and to secure social justice within and between communities, or at least that is what their website says. Outside of the TCPA, um, the idea of a garden city definitely sort of rooted itself in urban planning and the urban planning tradition. And it did sort of feed into this rise of green spaces within urban landscapes that we now find around the world. The concept of the garden city is definitely still revisited today, but it's considerably different from the original idea. Um, It's more so taken the garden city as an inspiration, as an aesthetic inspiration um, to create greater integration between urban areas and green spaces. In his time though, going back to the late 19th and early 20th century, Howard was a successful fundraiser. Again, he was trying to get things going. In the first years of the 20th century, he built two garden cities, Letchworth Garden City and Welwyn Garden City, both in Hertfordshire, England. And both still exist today. Letchworth was originally quite successful. Um, it was first, you know, an ancient parish from like the 11th century. And remained a small rural village until the start of the 20th century when the land was purchased by a company called First Garden City Limited, which was founded by Howard and his supporters. And they went on to establish the United Kingdom's first roundabout, um, the Solarschlot Circus, uh, a lot of urban like parkland and open spaces 
uh, including a, a green space named after Howard called Howard Park. Um, but after Howard's passing, the first Garden City Limited was sort of taken over in 1960 and the company sort of changed how the town was managed. Uh, the residents of the local council kind of lost some say. Uh, the original Garden City ideals were uh, reduced and the corporation eventually became, um, for first the company created a corporation, transferred ownership to the corporation, which is now called Letchworth Garden City Corporation. And then that corporation was replaced by a charitable body in the 1990s called the Letchworth Garden City Heritage Foundation, which continues to own and manage the estate to this day. Letchworth was a sort of an interesting experiment. The people who were founded, who helped to found that town, um, were very much otherworldly, as some people would describe them. Um, they, for example, they had a, they, they, some people describe them as health freaks. They actually voted on a ban to set, um, against the selling of alcohol, um, a ban on the selling of alcohol in public premises. Oh boy. <laughs> so, which is, I mean, for a British village, right? In the early 1900s to vote against having a pub, unheard of, right? They did eventually f- create a pub, but that pub didn't serve any alcohol. <laughs> bummer, bummer. Hate to see it. Yeah. But Letchworth was still like a real pioneer. You know, it its approach to blending town and country was used in the Australian capital, Canberra, in Hellerau in Germany, in Tapanila in Finland, and in Mesa Parks in Latvia. And of course, in the other garden city, Welwyn. Howard had arranged for that land to be purchased by a company called Second Garden City Limited. Real creative there. And at first they were gonna call the um the city Digswell, but a couple of days later, they changed their mind, probably because they realized that's a dumb name. And they, st- <laughs> and they decided to call it Well. Yeah. I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, that's not, that's not a great name. <laughs> yeah. And so the town is laid out along these tree-lined boulevards. It's sort of a new Georgian town center. Um, there's a lot of grass, a lot of parks, as to be expected. And the planners had intended to create uh, the Garden City to have like one shop called Wellwyn Stores which was basically a monopoly that all the residents were expected to shop at. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, I think I want to bring up one final inspiration. I was a bit torn on, on whether I would include this one or not, but I said, you know what? It might be entertaining. And I might want to talk about it further in the future. A certain character by the name of Walt Disney. Oh, no. Drew a How great deal. Oh, no. Is, <laughs> this is Epcot. This is, this this is, is the Florida. This is the experimental prototypical city of tomorrow. Yes, this oh, is Epcot. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the Florida project. Oh, no. Disney's Epcot was designed in concentric circles with no. radiating boulevards. No. This is, this, is, this is the worst jump scare I've, I've ever had. <laughs> Oh, but it should be noted, or rather it should be expected, that unlike Howard, Mr. Disney envisioned having a lot of personal control over the day-to-day management of life in his city. So really, Epcot was only loosely inspired by Howard's idea of combining the populace with industry. Um, this city would have had a hotel at the center with more than 30 stories and a convention center. There would be an internationally themed town center. Um, There would be a mega mall. There would be themed restaurants, shops, and attractions. There would be a monorail. Yeah, sure sure is. He was was a car-free community advocate. (laughs) He was a bit of a... Yeah, like his plan was that nobody would drive in Epcot. Delivery trucks and other automobiles 
and auto, uh, other automobiles that needed to enter the city were to be kept underground. So it's kind of like a fusion of Ebenezer Howard and Elon Musk. That sucks. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. Also, the city would be climate controlled with a glass roof. Yes. I mean, it, and it's funny because like he couldn't even do this properly. Like he couldn't even build this. Instead, instead, it got turned into like a like a like a a, a bare skeleton of what his original plan was. Because Ep- Epcot well, failed in, in so in so many ways. Reason being that he ended up dying. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like even on his deathbed, he was still sketching up designs for Epcot. So he never really got to implement it. Pro life dictator dies anyways. Things of this nature. <laughs> The yeah. actual, like the actual, like living communities in 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 Disney World Florida are are so different. They, and in in many ways, they're they're just like another suburb, um, except you're in a suburb owned by Disney. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, to give you a, a, a little peek into what life would have been like under Epcot, right? Your home would have been prefabricated and modular. So the materials and technologies could be tested as soon as they're available. By the way, well, I have nothing against prefab homes. I think they could be very useful. Um, but Disney's idea was basically your home is prefab so that any time he wanted to install an update on it, he could. That's great. You know, like the entire city was basically like a guinea pig for any technologies he came up with. <laughs> um, and so... He wanted to really retain absolute control of the city. Like they wouldn't even own anything. Disney alone would own the land so that he and his successors could make updates and changes without ever being slowed down by this pesky thing called citizens' votes and rights and all that. It's, it's funny because this is actually now under attack by Ron DeSantis in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sovereignty of Disney may like change a lot. I think they within- lost it. I, 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 I think but, they already stripped it. Yes, but but how this plays out in actuality is yet to be determined. Yeah. But it, it is funny that this is actually like this is a very uh very recent thing, it's like well, the see, last like week or so. But see, we, we, we what we can see here is is one one of the inevitable transitions as 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 we as we saw in British colonial rule in India, which is that direct corporate rule is always replaced by indirect corporate rule via the state. <laughs> yeah. Yes, pretty no, much. It's, yeah. It's. In, in in some ways, we we'll, we will probably learn that it was better to live under Disney than Ron DeSantis. <laughs> but that is I not mean, saying much. Our next one, he opens up for DeSantis world. Oh, no, no, do not do not call that into being. It's just it's just it's it's just it's just it's literally just like eighteen Gitmo exhibitions. Uh, oh Lord! I mean, DeSantis world will just be the United States when DeSantis wins the presidential election. Oh God! True. Sad, but true. But let me tell you a bit more about Epcot, right? If you were 18 or older, you have to have a job. Also, you don't get to retire. (laughs) Nobody's allowed to retire. You only get to stop working if you either die or leave. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) One way out. (laughs) Also, he and reason being, he believed this would prevent slums or ghettos from forming in any mm. part of his magical city. Because huh. I mean, if everyone has a job, then nobody will be struggling to pay rent or eat, right? Funnily enough, of course, a lot of Disney workers today can't afford to pay rent or eat. But hey, 
the theoretically everybody in Epcot would have their basic needs met. Also, though, in exchange for that, they wouldn't have any privacy because Epcot was also supposed to be like a tourist attraction. You know, you look outside your window and tourists are like looking inside your window. So that was a that was a thing. That was Epcot. Thankfully, it doesn't it wasn't fully implemented. I mean, some people have said that Singapore is like a dystopian city state run by Disney, but we could talk about that another time. That's the basic rundown on Garden City's past, present, and future. The idea of it, I think, was you know notable, admirable, good effort, but flawed. Um, and because it, it lacked a strong ideolo- ideological foundation and economic foundation and analysis that took into account the contentions baked within society that uh, you know manifests in the urban landscape. And I think it's a clear warning that for solar punks and for really people who are interested in urban planning as a whole, that you know, aesthetics is not everything. Design is not everything, you know? There has to be some some meat to those um there's some meat underneath that flesh. It's a really weird analogy, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but like yeah, the 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 the, the principle of Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna abandon the Walter Benjamin thing I was gonna do there, but no, try it. Keep keep going. Keep going. Right, the, right, we're gonna we're, the, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna try the, the Walter Benjamin thing. I haven't I haven't I haven't actually read any of his stuff in like five years, but one of Benjamin's things was when politics is sort of displaced or converted into aesthetic, it becomes fascism. So don't do that. In fact, have actual politics and not simply reduce your politics to an aesthetic or to aesthetics, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. True. True. All right. Well, that's it for me. Uh, you can follow me on youtube.com slash andrewism, on Twitter at underscore St. True, and on patreon.com slash andrewism. You can find us at Happen Here Pod or Cool Zone Media on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and you can find me uh, tweeting about my desire to understand the mechanics of how Disney World operates at Hungry Bowtie, mostly on Twitter. Yay! Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.